0: Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. The music is dead.
1: Long live the music.
0: Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. I'm Kyle Hawk. I will be your host today. I'm editor in chief at It's All Dead, and with me is Kyle Schultz, senior editor at It's All Dead. Hello, Kyle. Howdy there. Hey, you got a cat with you. How about that? I do. It is just rubbing all over the microphone,
1: so uh, get ready to hear that.
0: <laughs> I love it, man. Um, Kyle is in Chicago. I'm in Indianapolis, and uh, we run a little website called It's All Dead where we talk about music and stuff that we like when it comes to music. And uh, we do a podcast, too, and that's what you're listening to right now. Um, we've done one of these each year that we've had the site up. So this is our third one where we do a podcast dedicated to our favorite albums that came out 10 years ago. Um, And I remember that when we did last year's, we were talking about like, wow, 2004 may have been like the best year for music of our lives or something. But now, which I'm overstating that obviously, we were talking about how great of a year 2004 was for the music we love. What I was doing, you know, as I've been thinking about putting stuff together for 2005 – it was really good too. I don't know what your experience was, but I'm kind of feeling like 2005 was pretty great as well.
1: It really was. My uh, biggest thing with that is just the fact that I'm confusing a lot of 2005 albums with 2006, like they run together. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh yeah, this album's amazing. I'm going to write something. It's like, oh, I have to wait till next year. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I've already got some lined up for next year. If you follow our side at all, you know that we write these pieces called Reflecting On, where we reflect on albums that came out 10 years ago. Um, And we've already done several, and I'm actually going to be talking about albums today that I've already written about. But I feel like this kind of gives us a different avenue to kind of delve into why we like some of this stuff. So um, in the the nature, I guess, of not making this two hours long, (laughs) we can go ahead and get started. Um, And I, I guess I'll kick us off. And for me, I guess there are... It's hard to pick one that was my favorite album of 2005, like it's really, really hard for me, but as I'm looking at it and I'm trying to pick one, I I don't know if I can pick a favorite, but I'm going to start with Paramore, All We Know Is Falling, and this is one I wrote about last month, I think, and its 10-year anniversary is coming up in August, Um, an incredible, incredible album. I uh, just saw them perform with Copeland uh, back in May which was awesome because I bought their first album because on the there was a sticker on the cover of the album with a quote from Aaron Marsh the lead singer of Copeland who was talking about this band is going to be the next big thing and because I love Copeland so much I was like okay I trust you and I bought it That's That's actually the exact same reason I got their album, too. Yeah. And I I was blown away. Like, I knew nothing about them, and I bought it, and I immediately fell in love with it. And if you read the site, you know that I'm a huge Paramore fan. I've followed them their whole career. I still love them just as much as I did. But there's something about this debut album. There's, like, some sort of fire about it. Um, It's not, like, totally pop punk. It's not totally, like, emo rock. It's, you know, it falls somewhere kind of in the middle. But the point is is that they did what they did on that album – really well you can tell it's a debut it's very raw Um, it's definitely not their best album ever but there's a heart behind it that is kind of unmatched I feel like in the rest of their catalog Um, so many good songs it's one of those albums I can listen to from front to back and be totally content I never hit the skip button Um, the opener all we know is an incredible song Incredible chorus and there's just so many great songs pressure emergency Franklin which I I wrote about when I wrote that article about how sad it is now to listen to it because it's like Josh and Haley doing kind of these back and forth vocals about leaving their hometown. And now that's really kind of sad given what's what happened with the band a few years ago and the falling out that uh, Josh and and Haley had. But, um, I don't know for me, it's just, it's, it's kind of my go-to album when I want to feel nostalgic. Um, I can put it on at any point and be totally into it, totally singing along. Um, and I just love it. I, I don't know. I don't foresee a time when I ever can't go back to this album and just feel really awesome. Um, I, I think about these sometimes in ways of like if it came out today, how would I feel about it and what would I say? Um, and that's always really hard. But I feel like if this came out today, I would still really, really enjoy it.
1: So Yeah, it, it's, uh, it definitely really put them on the map. Like it actually, I loved it when it first came out. But um, if I'm totally honest, I think it's the album of theirs that I liked the least. It's uh, I don't think I've actually listened to it front to back since probably about around the time it came out. Uh, like I, I have my favorites on it that I pull out and I listen to a lot. But um, for the most part, I think everything that's come after that, I prefer a lot better. It's just much more dynamic and a lot more fleshed out.
0: Yeah. I mean, they've obviously gotten way better as a band. Like, I feel like they've improved, nah, <laughs> <clears Don't throat> improved with every album. Um, oh yeah. But the, for a debut, this was one hell of a debut. And when you consider, like, what other bands were blowing up big from Fueled by Ramen that year with, like, The, Acad- or, the Academy Is and Fall Out Boy and Panic! The Disco, Gym Class Heroes, like, this held up really well alongside some of those other albums. So... Um, I'll let you go ahead and get started with your first album
1: that you want to share about. Uh, for me, it's going to be Daphne Lowe's Derby, On the Strength of All Convinced. Um, this is just one of those albums, it came out and I actually picked it up in a record store because I saw the artwork on the cover and it was just so, uh, dreamlike and weird. I figured it had to be amazing and I was totally correct. And, uh... You know, after I'd already gotten and listened to it, that's when I found out they're actually kind of exploding because of pure volume and all that stuff. And it's one of the few records that it came out towards the end of the emo revolution, kind of, around 2005-ish. And it's just, in terms of indie rock, it's just a beast all upon itself. There's hardly anything I can think of that compares to it, just the um, poetic lyricism, or the way that the music is written really simplistically and really mellow, but there's a lot of flesh to it that Mm. uh, makes it sound a lot deeper than it really is. And all things considered, it's a very simple album that has just a lot of really simple layers to it that build really well upon each other. And uh, it has a really nice flow that goes from start to end. And you can't quite tell exactly what style they're going for, because it starts in, like, a grungy pop-punk, and then just shifts to pop and then shifts to acoustic ballads and then goes to just the, um, Debussy, which I think is track 10 is just, uh, the twanging of like the keyboard and the taps of cymbals. Like it's the simplest thing I've ever heard. And it's probably one of the most beautiful songs I've ever listened to. Yeah. I,
0: so around 2005, it seemed like all of a sudden, all of my friends were listening to Daphne Loves Derby. Like they were like the buzz band that year. I feel like everybody was talking about them. And so because of that, I immediately just like put up a wall of like, no, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm not going to listen to a cool <laughs> band and to. And then I saw them in concert. I feel like they were opening for Anne Berlin. And I was like totally blown away because they had like a, I don't know if you ever got to see them live, but they had a totally different presence on stage than any of the other bands of this era. Like mm-hmm. it, was, it was very mellow, but they were like totally in control the whole
1: time. Like it never felt like a dead set. And I was like really impressed. I got to see him live once, and uh, like I, I loved it. They are amazing, but it really struck me as weird because Kenny Choi, the vocalist, he would stand basically motionless on stage and just play and stare straight ahead singing into the mic. Yeah. And uh, the other guitarist, I can't think of the name at the moment, was just running back and forth across stage and like spitting in the air and doing all these tricks and stuff, <laughs> and it was just like, a weird dynamic between the two. <laughs>
0: Daphne Loves Derby is one of the, I think, great what-ifs of this scene. Um, I mean, because they yeah. just disappeared so suddenly, and it just didn't feel like they were done.
1: No, definitely not. I've been a hardcore fan for years, and uh, from what I can tell that happened was Kenny Choi, the vocalist, went to, off to college to pursue um, you know, a career, and they put the band on hold, and it just never came back to it. I know at one point there were rumors that they had a third album that was already recorded, and they were just looking for someone to um, you know put it out and it just yeah. never happened. and uh, Kenny went ahead and did Wolftron as a side project and they only they're amazing too but they only released one album uh, and that just disappeared and it's just one of those things that there was a magic there that just disappeared for uh, completely.
0: yeah, definitely. That's a yeah. I'm glad you talked about that one. I knew you would, but it just I feel like that was one of the most important albums of 2005, or the one I just feel like everybody was talking about. Um, another one on my list, and probably the one if you if you forced me to pick a favorite, it would be this one from 2005, an album that pretty much nobody was listening to in 2005, but everybody loves now. Acceptance Phantoms, and uh, it was the only full length album Acceptance ever released. They got signed to a major label, put it out. Um, things never fully came together for them, and they called it quits. Um, I saw them in 2005. My introduction to them was seeing them live in concert. I was going to see Anne Berlin again. I apparently went to see Anne Berlin a, a lot. Um, but they were one of the opening bands, and I, I was just blown away. I, I, you know, It's like when you're younger and you're going to see the main band that you want to see, and you're just trying to like rush through all the opening bands because you're not really thinking about, like, hey, maybe this opening band is going to be awesome. That was kind of it for me, but I remember being like totally caught off guard by uh, the vocals of Jason Vina, the lead singer. I thought, "Wow, this guy's really good," but then Anne Berlin played, and I totally forgot about it. So a little bit later, I, I started listening to their album, and was com- just completely infatuated with it. And then, of course, they broke up. Uh, the album is just pure pop rock. Like it, it's one of the, in my opinion, it's probably the best. It's one of the best pop rock albums of all time. like it's just pure uh, just fun and awesome. Um, and it's it's just hard to explain the the songs are there's a diversity there, but they've got a sound to them um, that just kind of keeps it all really cohesive. And Jason Vina, I've said before, and I'll say it again, he's my fake favorite singer of all time. I absolutely love his voice. so I was devastated when they broke up, but just a couple months ago, they reunited, and they're currently doing a bunch of reunion shows. Well, not a bunch. They're doing a handful of reunion shows, um, none of them near me, which is real bummer. I was hoping they'd be at Riot Fest this year, but um, they are recording new music, which is incredible. It's something I never thought would happen, but it is happening now a decade later. Um, but Phantoms is just – it's one of the – best albums like it's just so pure and so perfect from the production it, it's just fantastic i love jason's lyrics i love his vocals i love the guitars um it's just an incredible incredible album and i know i'm being really vague and not getting into specifics but i love it so i, I don't know if acceptance was <laughs> ever a
1: band you listen to or not but uh, uh they definitely were when they first came out my big thing they're another uh, band that I haven't listened to the album for a really long time, and I think part of that is just by the time I'd really gotten into them, they are already finished, yeah. and uh, it was just one of those things that when you're trying to keep up with everything that's coming out, they their album kind of fell by the wayside for me, just because you know, you look in other directions, and it just kind of sits in the corner, but um, I remember when it came out, I was listening to it non-stop for months, and uh, at this point, I don't remember a whole lot of it, just a uh, take cover for the most part, which uh, if it says if it says anything about the band, um, I think almost every concert I've ever been to, in between sets when they're just playing music on, uh, you know the speakers and stuff just to kill time, I'm pretty certain take covers have uh, been played yeah. almost every single time.
0: Dude, it's a classic song in the scene. Like when you hear those keyboard, like the that keyboard line that opens a song, like you know immediately. And every like I know what you're talking about. They play it and the crowd starts singing along. The she's a liar. It comes to this. Anyway, it's just like everybody knows that song. But it's a great song. I I love every song on that album. So
1: that's that's my um, second album. Yeah. Just a weird side note. Did any of them ever do any side projects or anything? I've never really followed up on them to be honest with you.
0: So Christian McElhaney, who was the guitar, the lead guitarist for that band, joined Anne Berlin. Um, and he was in Anne Berlin for That's their correct. final four albums, which was awesome because he kind of took that band to the next level in my mind as far as like their songwriting. So Anne Berlin's career, I feel like extended. I I love Anne Berlin. I could sing their praises all day, but um, I feel like having him in the band like propelled them onward. And I think you know the Anne Berlin broke up last year. And uh, that freed up Christian to be able to kind of go back and rally the rest of the guys to start the band again. So that's kind of how it's weird, but it seems like that's how that all came about. So. Yeah.
1: Um, I think the next one on my list is going to have to be Panic at the Disco's "A Fever You Can't Sweat Out." Yeah. It's just it was quite possibly the breakout album of 2005. It's just it seemingly came out of nowhere it was a band that no one had heard of no one had really seen before and uh, I believe they hadn't toured at all before they got a record deal um, It was, I think the mythology behind it is they snuck like a demo to Patrick Stump or Pete Wentz at a Fall Up Boy show and they got signed pretty much on the spot and uh, it's just for a debut band from an al- or from a, a debut album from a band especially one that no one Really has a following yet. The way they exploded is just unprecedented. Yeah. Um, it was just insane. They were all over the place that entire fall and probably the next year following it. But every single song in that album is uh, single worthy. It's just it's an insane mixture of pop punk and I don't really want to say goth, but just like darks showmanship. It was such a weird combination that just yeah. worked. And uh, the partnership between Brendan Urie and uh, Ryan Smith, Ross. Ross, damn. Uh, <laughs> yeah, their writing partnership and just uh, stylistic choices are just insane. The way they combined, um, you know, pop rock with electronica and dance and like dark uh, melodies and stuff. And Cat just knocked over my goddamn beer. Go away. And uh, <laughs> It's just. Uh, I'm leaving that in. It was, yep. It was just a, uh, you know, such a weird dynamic that it worked in a way that. I'm trying to find my words here. It was a stylistic choice that you could see Fall Out Boy going in, if they had decided to get further into the emo scene.
0: Yeah, I mean. I feel like we could do a whole podcast talking about a fever. You can't sweat out uh, that album. And I, I was annoyed at first. I I was immediately drawn to it. I think just like everybody, cause it was really good, but I was annoyed at how fast they blew up. Like something about it didn't feel right to me. And I remember hearing stories at the time, cause they, right after they got signed to put that album, they went on tour with uh, cartel and the Academy is, as like an opening band. And you think about a tour, like, cartel in the academy is in 2005 that's a pretty big deal but like halfway through that tour like the whole crowd was filled up with people to see panic at the disco and allegedly i remember reading stories i who knows how true they are but like the guys in cartel were having to help them set up their equipment because they didn't even know how to you know plug in amps or get all their instruments set up i i I don't want to like i don't know badmouth panic at the disco you know for something that may or may not be true but i think the point is those guys were like 17 when they put that album out and you listen to it now and it's like, Oh my God, how is it possible? Like, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm I'm not a musician obviously, but I can't imagine like me in high school being able to do something like that. Like that album is like
1: light years beyond what most bands that age can create. No, it is just, there's a bunch of different styles all wedged in together and tempo changes and just, um, you know, the confidence of the lyrics are just crazy. It's something you almost have to compare to the Beatles and just the fact of how fast they rose out of nothing. Yeah. It's a, It was just an insane takeover of the scene that no one saw coming at all. And I'm pretty certain the stories about how uh, they didn't know what they were doing on tour and everything like that are pretty legendary and pretty well-known. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I... Uh... It's it's one of those albums I still go back to. I, I, I've loved every album they've put out. Well, I wouldn't say I loved. I've enjoyed, in different ways, every album they've put out because they've put out a lot of different stuff. Fever is still my favorite. Um, and, you know, and to be fair to the band, I, again, I think that Brendan Urie is an incredibly talented dude. I had a chance to interview him for Pop Matters a few years ago. He was a really sweet guy. Really seemed like he really knew what he was talking about and what he was doing. Um and he's obviously, you know, had a huge career. I mean, Panic of the Disco is still relevant. They're still a big deal. Um, and that's that's kinda cool to see how they he's kind of been able to evolve uh the sound of that band and uh it it's crazy to think that like none of those other guys are even in the band anymore. It's just kinda Brendan doing it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well I think what's crazy about it is the fact that he's when this first came out it was legendary how green they were and didn't know what they were doing and it's been fascinating over the last decade watching especially Brandon Yeri and mostly Brandon Yeri uh become a full-fledged basically rock god like he writes all the parts he writes all the music now by himself he's the only member left in the band and he went from uh being second hand to Ryan to being you know just a sellout megastar
0: yeah yeah, and so what was the name of that third album? Oh, Vices and Virtues. That's when I interviewed him. It was right as that album was coming out, and he had never written lyrics or melodies before because Ryan had handled yeah. all that stuff. And to think that, and now like he's still putting out hit songs on the radio, like he just learned how to do it. That's crazy.
1: Um, what's... Yeah, it, it's basically unprecedented. Like no one else that I can think of has ever gone through anything like that and come out on top like he has. Yeah. What's your favorite song on Fever? On fever. Oh, that's a tough one. Um Putting you on the spot. I'm actually I have to look it up real fast. <laughs>
0: well I'll, I'll do mine. Mine is uh Time to Hold Dance. On. Uh I think yeah. Time to Dance is like the sixth track, but one I love Invisible Monsters, that book by Chuck Palinuk, and um the song is about that book. <laughs> so it's really awesome. But I that was like the first song on that album that like totally caught me and got stuck in my head all the time. It was my ringtone for like a year. <laughs> um, it, it's an awesome chorus, like total dancey electronic, you know, pop song, but I, I like it.
1: No wonder I had to look it up. I couldn't think of it. The title is, uh, it's the second track on the album. It's called The Only Difference Between Murder and Suicide is Press Coverage. Yeah. And uh, I <laughs> I think of that one just because it's the first song I really heard. And uh, it's really stuck with me. And as often as i played that album for years afterwards that was always what i started with and it's even now it's still one of my favorite songs and uh it's just one of those things it's that first moment you hear it you know what it is you know who it is and i i think that's the one i still fall back to
0: yeah i guess we should mention at some point that 2005 was the year of ridiculously absurdly disgustingly long song titles like i feel like every album that came out in 2005 it was mandatory to have at least Half the songs be a sentence long. So <laughs> um, So I'll go with the next album uh, for me, which is The Academy Is Almost Here. Um, and the great news is that I get to see The Academy has perform this album in its entirety at Riot Fest in September. They are reuniting for Whoa, one night okay. and one night only, and uh, you're likely going to be there as well. And hopefully we can go and stand side by side and sing along. Um, this album was incredible. Uh, what I wrote about when I wrote about this album was how crazy it is to me all these years later that in 2005 you have all these bands on Feel by Ramen blowing up Panic of the Disco, Fall Out Boy, Gym Class Heroes, Paramore. How did The Academy is not get big? Like it's still it it completely just doesn't compute in my brain because the, the songs in this album I feel like are as good as anything Fall Out Boy did with From Under the Cork Tree. I'm sure there are people out there that disagree with that, but I, I feel like I could argue pretty confidently that Almost Here is a superior album. It's it's so tight. William Beckett's vocals are just out of this world. Uh, the songwriting of the album is incredible. Um, it's sort of a pop punkish album, but it feels really diverse. Like the songs are all very unique. They have a lot of great parts in them. Like every time I listen to uh, Slow Down, there's like a just a guitar break like not even like a solo or anything but after the second chorus where they just like jam out as a band and it's just incredible for a debut album like you just listen to it and you're like wow and and i feel like in 2005 when i was listening to this album i was like this band is going to be huge look what's happening to fallout boy and it just never happened It never totally came together for him and i hate that just because i feel like william beckett is so talented i mean we're talking about these albums from 2005 think about the people we've already mentioned like brendan urie uh, Haley williams like it still is crazy to me that William Beckett never got to that level because this guy, in my mind, is just legendary. I, when I was putting the article together and I was doing some research and somebody from like uh, BBC at, at the time had described William Beckett in his stage presence as like a cross between like Freddie Mercury and Prince or something like that. Or no, it was a cross between uh, Adam Lazara. Uh, taking back Sunday and Prince which like totally makes sense to me if you've ever seen him on stage <laughs> and seen the way he performs but that's like really high praise like the academy is was not like some throwaway band people knew about him people seemed to respect him i don't know why they never blew up
1: No, i think part of it well they're on their way like um there was twice i went to go see them in concert and by the time i'd gone to get tickets they'd already sold out man and so they were definitely on their way but I think part of it was uh, the follow-up to this album, Santee, which uh, years later, I really respect that album. But at the time, I remember it feeling like such a just drastic disappointment compared to Almost Here. And I think that definitely um, put a bit of damage on their career. So, I
0: I mean, I liked Santee. I still like it. I mean, not as much as Almost Here, but it was such a sonic shift. I feel like the, the shift was really stark from their first to their second album and that probably threw some people off but I mean I even remember hearing we got a big mess on our hands and thinking that was going to be huge on the radio and that never really took off either because I mean they yeah. were like at that time it felt like these guys are going to be like Fall Out Boy's sidekicks or something and it just never really came together and I mean the the last album uh, Fast Times at Barrington High or whatever it was just felt weird I mean it was like they're on their third album they're older and now they're going to write the album about high school or something like that just Seems strange to me, but almost here I just feel like it's classic, like emo pop punk. Like, if when I think of that time period and what was coming out almost here, I feel like for me kind of encapsulates that sound,
1: yeah, definitely. And also, it has um just the confidence and lyricism. It, they're basically bragging, like, here comes something you've never heard before, get ready for yeah. it. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know that's what's so crazy is like. William Beckett was almost like calling his own shot, like on the on the songs <laughs> of that album, which I love. I think that's so cool, especially that song like the Oh Mister Magazine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> want to to you and your so called music scene it don't mean shit to me. Like I'm just like I remember even as like in college, I like hear that being like, oh damn, like I just felt really cool <laughs> to me. My favorite song of that album is uh, Skeptics and True Believers. I feel like that's like the most underrated song in the album. I never hear people talk about it, but it's my favorite.
1: I think I agree with that. I like that one a lot. Yeah. All right, what's next? See, for me, I think hands down the best album of the year would be uh, Everything in Transit by Jacks Mannequin. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I remember I was still reeling because something corporate had broken up, and yeah. they were one of my all-time favorite bands. And just there's a heartbreak there that it's really hard to describe unless you're a fan of something corporate, especially at that time. Uh, like they'd more or less taken over the scene with piano rock, which is just such a strange concept. And uh, after two albums, the band broke up, and you just had that feeling like nothing will ever top this or match it. And then Andrew McMahon came out with Jack's Mannequin, and the debut album is such just a shock to the system. Every single song is unique. Every song is uh, basically a chart-topping single, uh, or it's ready to be one. And just, like, the first time you hear the mixtape or um, I'm Ready or Dark Blue, it's just, even 10 years now, it impresses me how deep that album is. And then there's the whole mythology that went around behind it, whereas... you know, it started off as B-sides for something corporate because they didn't stick out with those albums. And then the day Jack's Mannequin's album is released is the day Andrew McMahon was diagnosed with leukemia. Yeah. So then there's the whole uh, mythology behind that on how the album, even though it's a concept album, is leading up to this darkness that's right at the very end. Right. And uh, it was just, for years, I raved about this album. And even now, it's uh, every time I listen to it front to back, it gives me chills at how good it is.
0: Yeah, and so something that's always been interesting to me, and let me be clear that I'm not uh, – I I enjoy Something Corporate and Jack's Mannequin, but I'm not like a huge – like I wasn't like totally into either of those things, but um, I, I totally get it. What I will say is that I've always found it interesting how big it felt like Jack's Mannequin got, but how many people still love Something Corporate. Like Something Corporate was like an underground band or something, but like – I remember like you and I – you've got like a Something Corporate shirt that just says like Something Corporate on it. And you would wear it and like anytime we went somewhere, like at least one person would say, oh, yeah, Something Corporate. I love that band. Like I don't know. I feel like there's so many people out there listening to Something Corporate but like Jack's mannequin got even bigger somehow.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. No, it's a, it's just impressive at how much of a beast Andrew McMahon really turned out to be. Yeah. Because he was just this long-haired little fuck playing piano in a punk band, and <laughs> then he turned into just a megastar. Yeah. On a, With, you know, fronting his own band. Yeah. Which he's
0: going to be at Riot Fest as well. And something else interesting. Uh, did I see right that they're going to be doing it? He's doing a uh, a 10-year tour for Transit, like a 10-year anniversary tour.
1: I have not heard. Or was about
0: that just rumors?
1: Maybe everybody's it's, just like making, starting rumors about that or something. I'm assuming it's just a rumor at this point, since Jack's mannequin has only been retired for about a year, and uh, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness just started their endeavor.
0: Yeah, because I mean, the Academy is—they're doing their 10-year anniversary at Riot Fest this year. Acceptance has gotten back together 10 years later. It's just—it's the thing to do now to do a a ten-year thing. I, I almost felt like for Riot Fest they were going to announce that for Transit or something. But um, yeah. So that's your well, favorite think, Jacks Mannequin album.
1: I think so. Every the follow-ups that came after it, there's a very good argument for the Glass Passenger. Yeah, I being, think that's my favorite. There's a very good argument for that being the favorite, but um, there's just so much energy behind everything in Transit. It's it's impossible for me not to put it number one.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Well, um, we're not. I've. We still want to mention a few others. We don't want to like bleed on about you know every single album that came out in 2005, but it, it is worth mentioning a few others. So I've got a couple. Kyle has a couple as well that he'll share. Uh, so the first album I'll share quickly about is Armor for Sleep. What to do when you're dead. Which also, this band just announced yesterday, we're recording this on a Tuesday, uh, July 21st. They announced yesterday that they're going to be doing some 10-year anniversary shows, one of which is in Chicago in October. I will be there. Um, hopefully, I'm able to buy the ticket on Friday morning when they go on sale. But Armor for Sleep, incredible. Uh, this is one of my favorite emo albums. It's like an entire concept album about a guy who kills himself before the first song. And then as the album plays out, he's like singing these songs from beyond the grave and like questioning his existence and what it meant and whether he should have killed himself or not before like coming to some sort of like peace, this like weird ending that uh, the last song is sort of like uh, piecing all the different parts and from the album together into one big like s- swelling song. Um, it's an incredible, incredible album, like really sad and really dark, but I love it. Loved it at the time, and I still love it. Uh, Chiodos, All's Well That Ends Well, another debut in 2005 from a band that would become huge. Um, my favorite album of theirs still. Um, I've been a Chiodos fan all along, pretty much, but All's Well That Ends Well is still my favorite. I feel like Craig Owens is just walking on a live wire in that album like he's just like crackling with electricity there's no it's not like he's following no like rule books for how to sing or anything like he's just going crazy like transitioning between singing and screaming and his heart's on his sleeve and uh that album was really cool i feel like that was one of the last great screamo albums um and then a couple others that I feel like are worth mentioning Circus Survive, Juturna, another debut album. Not my favorite Circus Survive album, but an album I loved at the time. And apparently they kind of alluded to doing some 10-year anniversary shows. So it looks that, like that'll happen. And then Isley, Room Noises. Uh, Isley is one of my favorite bands. Room Noises was their debut. Um, and it's still just classic, classic indie pop. Every song in there is just like syrupy, sweet, and incredible.
1: Yeah, for me, my uh, honorable mentions would include uh, Weezer's Make Believe. Um, at the time when it came out, I hadn't really gotten into the band yet, and I got so much shit from everyone I knew because I didn't listen to them. And uh, it's it's a weird album because all things considered, I think it's one of my least favorite Weezer albums, and I still love it. If that yeah. says anything about the band, and it's also it's like their fourth comeback album, because uh, up. Up to that point, they seemed to break up or elude that they're gonna break up every couple years, couple months or so, and uh, you know, no one knew what R- Rivers was up to. And this band kind of uh brought everything back together and really cemented them as a group. And it also included some apology songs from pretty much for just being a dick bag.
0: I think every Weezer album is their comeback album.
1: It seems like at this point, <laughs> <laughs> more or less, yeah. <laughs> um. The other honorable mention I can think of is uh, Motion City Soundtracks. Commit this to memory. Yep. Um, it for me that's the album that really marked their spot in the, you know this the scene. Uh, I am the movie came out before that and it has a deep following, but I have never gotten into that album. I even today like I listen to it, but it's still it's not Motion City for me. Uh, Commit this to memory really cemented their style and their sound and I uh, you know just the wit that goes behind their music and um, it's just something that there's a magic there that goes behind each song that really lifts it up to where they are now. You can see the progression starting there.
0: Yeah. Another 10-year anniversary tour happening for that album.
1: Are you going to go to it?
0: I don't know. I'm going to try. Yeah. What's your favorite Motion City soundtrack album? Is it that one? Because I think that's probably mine,
1: but I could be talked into one or two others. For me I have to be talked to um even if it kills me or my dinosaur life. Yeah. I, th- I just I can't deny how much I love those.
0: Yeah, I really like my dinosaur life. Um if there was one 2005 reunion 10 an- 10th anniversary tour for any of these albums or even one we haven't talked about that you could that you would go to if you had to pick just one, which one would it be?
1: Definitely was Derby. Yeah. Immediately. I I love that album so much. I'd kill to see it live. I've got bad news for you. I don't think that one's going to happen. Oh, no, not at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We can hope. Um, Yeah, I think mine would be The Academy Is, and that's happening at Riot Fest. So that'll be fun. So, yeah, that'll be cool. Uh, So keep your eye out uh, at It's All Dead for more of our 10th anniversary articles because we have some more uh, coming throughout the rest of the year. Um, and check out the ones that are already there. If you go to itsalldead.com, you can see tons of album reviews, music news. Uh, We cover events. uh, We have feature articles. So check us out. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Search It's All Dead. Hit the subscribe button. You can uh, see all of our past episodes. And if you subscribe, you can stay up to date on every episode as we release it. And then leave us a review and tell us uh, how great we're doing and how awesome Kyle is. Kyle Schultz. Not (laughs) not Kyle Hawk. (laughs) All right, man. Well, um, <laughs> thanks for doing this. I'm glad your cat could join us. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See it at Riot Fest. So. All right. That is uh, the official It's All Dead podcast, 2005 anniversary edition. And we will catch you next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the official It's All Dead podcast. You can download our podcast at iTunes. And find exclusive music news and content at www.itsallday.com.